0: learned anything from these past couple of years my fellow americans it's that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis america out loud pulse brings together the top experts in health care related fields to keep you a beat ahead
1: this is dr peter bregan i'm a psychiatrist and i'm with my wife ginger bregan
2: hey folks
1: And uh, this is America Out Loud Pulse. And today we have Sasha Latipova, L A T Y P O V A, on. And um, she's somebody we're very eager to talk to. She's been doing deep dives into uh, very important areas, including the role of our. U.S. Department of Defense, good old DOD, in being a primary, if not the primary mover in a lot of what's been going on with the vaccines. This is a mind-boggling revelation and we look forward to getting in depth with her about it. And uh, Sasha, um, introduce yourself further. We know you from your multiple wonderful articles that have- Substacks. And your substack.
3: Uh, Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Peter and Ginger, for inviting me. Uh, My background is in uh, pharmaceutical research and development. I worked uh, all my career, uh, about 25 years, in the industry in various roles. I also ran my own companies, uh, being a contractor for pharmaceutical companies. So as you know, pharma companies don't do much themselves, Uh, they outsource all the work to contractors. It's a very complex endeavor to run clinical trials and to um, get drugs approved uh, on the market. And so I was running several um, of these contract research organizations that perform various aspects of clinical trials. My most recent experience was focused on safety testing, especially cardiovascular safety testing um, and uh, regulatory requirements uh, for drugs in that area. Um, so but I have retired. I have reti- I retired from industry before COVID began, and I I was having a, a great time and a very good life. Um mm-hmm. but but since COVID began, I you know I became very concerned with how this was being handled, what was going on. I Did not know everything that I know now. I just, that that became sort of subject of my own investigation and and research and speaking about this. Um, And uh, I started uh, about November, December last year, and people were asking. I I was putting my information as videos on BitShoot, but then people were asking for written materials. um, And so I started writing it as articles. Uh, on Substack, and um, you know I enjoyed doing it, and so I I, um, I now regularly write on Substack, and my Substack is called Due Diligence and Art. And your art is
2: spectacular. Oh God, your
1: art is spectacular. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> oh my! Peter
2: goodness. looked up at one point when he was looking at your Substack, and he went, "These paintings are all hers." <laughs> we we he, he was floored. I'd forgotten to mention that to him.
3: Uh, the paintings
2: are just beautiful.
3: Well, yeah, thank you. And I, I, I now, you know, it's a difficult it's a difficult task now because, you know, I don't I don't have time to make new ones very much. And so it's it's juggling because I want, you know, I want to continue doing it. I love it. I wanted to do it. It's a hobby. Uh it's a serious hobby, but um, you know, it's just Trying to find time to 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 write and do that and you know have time for my family.
1: Well, yeah, uh, one of them uh, it is just so amazing, and I'm I'm blocking on what it was.
2: It, it was an old man, uh, bearded with lots of hair, and he had young lions around him. Oh, it was
1: David, and the, it was um, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel in the and the Lion's Den. den. Oh, yeah, it yeah, <laughs> which is such a great story, and um, uh, and I understand that like that you can get that's for sale. You can get reprints of it.
3: Uh, yes, the the original sold, um, and I don't have it anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. But the the prints, yes, the print, yeah, I, I, the prints are available on my art website, which is linked to my um, Substack website.
1: Okay, <laughs> I I think that that. Um, the daniel and lions den is just oh, um i mean it's just amazing <laughs> the the first of all the 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 human expression on him uh, the quality of the painting the lions surrounding him um i i was very very touched touched by that so they they look
2: like old renaissance masters i think don't they yes the, yeah that's yeah they're just stunning, Sasha.
3: well, th- thank you. yeah, i I am inspired by, you know, I, I you know definitely want to do realist art and so inspired by um Renaissance painters and Dutch painters and you know, the the grades. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, that's what I studied and, and tried to learn. And this it takes a lot of effort and practice to do to do this. Oh my um,
1: lord, yes. I mean <laughs> you yeah, to be a master painter like that. Well let's get let's go to um the <laughs> the DOD and the vaccines.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well start as if people know nothing because who can even believe that are what you're going to tell us about our Department of Defense. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yeah, so uh, it basically kind of follows my own investigation because I didn't know that at the beginning. I couldn't imagine that myself. Yeah. Um, so I, what was what I was um, uh, concerned with at the beginning, you know, and increasingly concerned was the um obviously uh, a lot of things like like suppression of uh, early treatments hydroxychloroquine uh government officials including the regulators who i knew 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 the truth i i I for sure knew that they knew the truth and yet i see these officials coming on media and saying that this is a dangerous drug and then going further and uh, banning doctors from prescribing it you know that that was just shocking to me uh and i and i could not believe that they were doing it because i'm like i can't believe i see these people that i respected previously and i trusted i thought that they were you know, regulating the industry, now coming out and doing things that are exactly opposite to public health. In fact, they were inflicting harm intentionally by doing so. Um, And uh, so that started my own investigation. I obviously saw immediately huge numbers of adverse events and deaths reported post-vaccination to VAERS, I started analyzing that data. I um, realized quickly that uh, the, well, I was concerned with the use of mRNA uh, as as a prophylactic vaccine, uh, because I knew that that's a dangerous class of product, was historically considered very risky, uh, never was approved for anything, um, and was only uh, developed in very, very risky applications such as terminal cancer. Um, Huntington's and things of that nature. So when when I worked in pharmaceutical industry, you could not even try to develop mRNA products for things like breast cancer, because that would be considered too risky for somebody who has bre- breast cancer to be given these products. Yet here they were coming out and saying this is going to be uh, recommended to pregnant women and children. So that was another absolute shocker to me. Um, And again, I could not believe the regulators with the straight face saying this to the public. Uh, And in fact, further like fear mongering and coercing people into taking these shots. Um, So uh, that was a big kind of um, eye opener. I realized at that time, you know, regardless of what I thought about them in the past, if people are behaving like this, you have to believe them. And I realized that they're lying and intentionally inflicting harm on the people. And I still didn't understand what was the driver, what was their motivation. But once you see them doing this, um, you know, you can't come to any other conclusion. And so uh, then I started looking into, you know, why and how. And uh, I've also, you know, I uncovered... Fairly quickly afterwards, that it was uh, definitively uh, the fact that these products were not good manufacturing practice compliant, were not compliant in fact in any to any pharmaceutical regulations or laws, um, and so you know that was revealed in the uh, European Medicines Agency documentation that was leaked for Pfizer, for example. The regulators specifically stated that their objections or review teams. So the, the each regulatory agency has review teams that are supposed to review pharmaceutical submissions and clinical trial data. And the review teams, they're split into various components of it like clinical pharmacology safety uh preclinical um manufacturing and so then they then they write up their findings like auditors do and then they submit to 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 the committee to the advisory committee as a brief and so the european Medicines Agency reviewers wrote up about 100, over 100 objections to Pfizer approval in December of 2020, or let's say late November 2020. So there's this giant document with over 100 objections from the review teams finding numerous violations, gaping holes, insufficient data, no, no validation of methods, uh, you know all sorts of problems. And number one objection is that Pfizer wasn't compliant with good manufacturing practices. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I, I saw that in Vayer's data, now I have a confirmation from the regulators. Now, all of those objections were somehow disregarded and overruled within two weeks after these objections were written up. And the product went on the market, so that was another uh, a strange, strange finding for me. I was like, okay, well, how does this how does this happen that you know the regulator's own staff says this product should not go on the market? Here's a hundred reasons why, and then then it still goes on the market and gets pushed on everyone and mandated. So uh, so after that, I I, I found. Um, uh, a writer on Substack, Catherine Watt, and, and we since have been friends and collaborators. Um, and she is a paralegal re- and a researcher in law and um, a journalist. And so she wrote about the legal aspects of that. And when I found her writing, like the universe started making sense again to me mm-hmm. because I, it explained how and why and what the regulators were doing and how the Department of Defense was involved. She found so, all the legal loopholes. Right. She found she, yes, yes. She exactly. She traced the legal history of all of this uh, through the years. It goes. I mean, she even traced it back to like hundred years ago. But for practical purposes, we can start with the with the sixties when the uh, bioweapons conventions were put in place, international ones. But but yeah. So so her writing kind of explains the legal framework and structure that's being utilized by the U.S. government. Uh, to drive this, uh, what she calls uh, domestic bioterrorism program, but it's actually an international and domestic bioterrorism program. Uh, Under the guise of public health, under the guise of vaccinations, they're essentially poisoning people with these agents.
1: Wow. That is an amazing introduction. Um, What Did you, how did you come to grips with the idea they're poisoning people intentionally? This was a very hard thing for me and for Ginger to come to grips with, and I'm sure for you. But unlike us, you come out of the system itself. Mm -hmm. So how did you wrestle with the idea that they were actually intentionally doing this? We have about four, four or five minutes left to this segment, but keep that in mind. But uh, yes. that's a terrible struggle I have to come to.
3: Yeah, I, it was a, it was a shock. Uh, I, I mean, I, I early on realized it was intentional because so the, the actions were intentional because. They, uh even when they would flag, like there was a particular Moderna lot that was flagged, and there were a number of news articles about it in Orange County, California. Uh, they, they identified the lot number. I looked it up in VAERS. Uh, I looked up the history of it. And uh, it, all the officials, they said, oh, you know, we found this lot associated with several allergic reactions. Uh, and then they never explained what they were. They never explained what the outcomes were, whether people survived them. Then Moderna said, we shipped a million doses of this lot. Nobody said, oh, yeah, we, we withdrew them from the shelves. You know, So they, they would just say, you know, there are a million doses of it, a bunch of allergic reactions, and that's the story. Then Paul Offit is, is quoted in that story saying, there is no such thing as a bad vaccine lot. It doesn't exist. People keep taking the vaccinations. And I, and I was like, what, what are you talking about? And then I, I looked up that lot number, and it's associated with 65 deaths in VAERS, which means that it could be 6,500, uh, all over the United States, in all the states. And, and it, it, it's, it was not withdrawn anywhere. After they knew that this is a problematic lot, the health department flagged it, they still did nothing. And that was the confirmation that I needed to know that this is intentional because they they just stood down all the consumer safety protection systems that exist um, and they should have been triggered. They should have, This, this lot should have been removed. The whole program should have been paused. Just you know, 65 deaths is an incredible number and we know it's undercounted. Um, and so all of that should have been stopped right there. This was January of 2021. And nothing was done. So after that, I knew it was intentional. After that, I was I I was racking my brain trying to understand how and why are they doing this, and why are they trying to poison people? Yeah. Uh, and so, and that that's you know that kind of led me to to learn more about Catherine's research and and read it in more detail.
2: So the old way, the pre-COVID way, the uh, appropriate, de- designed way to. Um, monitor uh, any drug or any vaccine that comes out and into market is if it's already on in market and Mm -hmm. uh, the national gathering point, which is bears of any suspected side effects starts to show that there are side effects happening and, and deaths in this
1: case. Sasha, this is, this is brilliant. You've, you're, you're discussing this brilliantly go ahead
2: that's right so the old way is is in normal times accidents would start to happen side effects would start to show up that would be flagged by the national database that collects the reports of possible side effects and in this case deaths and regulatory agencies i think fda but you and peter know better well, both than both the fda
1: do, and the cdc, and the CDC Look at theirs.
2: would send out alarms and alerts which would have picked, been picked up everywhere during this time because there was so much media looking at it they would have sent out alarms and they would have said take this off the market and it's kind of like when we hear there's bad meat or bad lettuce and they say these are the lot numbers don't take them if you've taken them contact your doctor and the medicines would have been pulled in this case the the so-called vaccines would have been pulled and none of that happened that must have been so shocking one minute
3: uh, yes, and even before it flag, it gets flagged by national databases. The manufacturers themselves have the uh, safety systems to detect uh, particular problems. You know, you get letters from your car dealerships all the time. This part is recalled, and and that, and, and that's because they've identified an issue themselves before it gets flagged nationally. Uh, the same thing happened famously with the J- Johnson & Johnson Tylenol case in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, J- Johnson Johnson withdrew all of Tylenol in the United States based on eight deaths in Chicago that they themselves identified.
1: From tampering, <laughs> not from their drug, but from tampering. Well,
3: tampering yeah, it was and adulteration. they still
1: withdrew their entire drug yeah. from the country because they couldn't it. It was guarantee a product it.
3: adulteration, and they detected it, and they withdrew the entire supply themselves. Yeah.
1: Yes, I don't know of a single um, uh, event in history involving vaccines or medications that ever reached 65 known deaths without withdrawing it from the market, period. And And, and there was 65 deaths
3: and 3,200 adverse events,
1: 3,200. And I just want to, well, we'll come back when we come back and... We'll continue with this discussion of what what 65 deaths really means. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally.
0: How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Co-Fix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? CoFix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Co-Fix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too
1: Well, this is Peter Bregan and Ginger Bregan back with Sasha Latipova. And um, I believe that the first 18-minute segment by Sasha was one of the most well-put-together and stunning and heartfelt and scientific of, of anything we've uh, we've had the pleasure of listening to. I wanted to pick on, pick up on one thing because I've testified in court about this particular issue and I've researched it, written books and articles about it, which is what does it mean when you have a report of 65 deaths? Well, as Sasha mentioned, um, they can be uh, one in uh, a hundred deaths or one in a hundred other adverse uh, effects are reported. In other words, this reporting system is not not required and it's... um, very, very uh, weak. Doctors don't report deaths. Now, I know from do, having done hundreds of medical malpractice suits against doctors, I have never seen one that was reported to the FDA. So I've been with, you know involved in cases where patients died, where patients killed other people. And in no case, did a physician ever report the deaths? The only one I ever found was that uh, when I was involved with uh, the Columbine shootings as an expert on some of the side cases, and uh, the drug company did report, uh, Salve that uh, that this unnamed person with the mass murder Eric Harris had indeed uh, uh, been on um, the uh, on the drug at the time on fluvoxamine um which is Luvox an SSRI now in this case the reports would be much more much more sparse they'd be much less than one in a hundred doctors were terrified of getting in trouble for mentioning even slight adverse effects or agreeing to anything a patient or a family might say in addition many of these patients, were injected in parking lots and other mass places where they they just got um, uh, I think they usually um, you know, had to get some sort of a, a official note that they could go, but no one was able would be able easily to keep track of them and they'd have no way of knowing if a patient died, especially if the family had no idea. Uh, that it was related to the vaccine because the vaccine was supposed to be so safe. And in addition, they wouldn't have had an easy conduit to find anybody, uh, to report it to. All they can do go back to the parking lot and, and, uh, the little Quant, Quonset Hut or wherever else they got, they got their shot. So, um, it is entirely possible that the uh, 650 reported deaths could be in the thousands of actual mm-hmm. deaths. And that's what we're, we're seeing. In general. Um, let me give yeah. it back to you, Sasha. Does that sound reasonable to you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know of uh, a number of people who sadly died after the vaccination. Um, and I also have friends and and people that I know who are struggling with um, uh, results of vaccination, such as uh, strokes and cancer. Uh, and uh, the, the the burst effects and it, it just just a huge amount of uh, health related issues they're clearly tied to vaccination. in some cases even their treating physicians admit that that's the result of vaccination now. Uh, none of them, not a single one was reported to VAERS.
1: Yeah, they don't want to get a call back from theirs challenging them yeah or the, uh, they don't want to end up in serious trouble. Because yeah. doctors have been been told, you know, you would you lose your license for you know mm-hmm. saying the wrong thing in regard to the narrative about the vaccines. It's quite yes. bizarre.
3: It's and also another thing which um, also Catherine Watt pointed out to me, and that's absolutely correct. Uh, the vast majority of these injections were given in pharmacies as opposed to doctors' offices, and that's yes. also another another by design uh, method designed to both force it on the population and then make it very hard to trace the effects and report so i i personally i personally witnessed i went into a grocery store locally and it has a pharmacy and i i walked in walking through the aisle i see the guy lying on the ground on the floor a young guy like in his 30s uh with his vaccination card next to him and his like paperwork Uh, That was by the pharmacy. He just collapsed, you know, uh, just after the injection. Oh, my. He was dead? uh, He wasn't dead, but uh, he was unconscious. Mm. And I don't know what happened with him afterwards. And my only thought was like, oh, my God, you know, it's good that he collapsed here instead of in his car when he was driving away.
1: Yeah, but he also collapsed where they really don't have treatment uh,
3: and they Of course, they available. don't have any treatment. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, the pharmacy, like hopefully they would have at the doctor's office.
3: Right. They don't have any resuscitation equipment or anything. And uh, I'm sure th- you know, that was, so as an anaphylactic shock or a syncope, uh, which I observed, I'm sure that wasn't reported at all because they didn't care. Yeah.
1: Well, I wouldn't say they didn't care so much that so they scared death. People are scared to death to report anything about it. The vaccines.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I, I my own, uh, my own point of view on this is, you know. It, it's it's they can say they were scared, but at this point, uh two and a half years later, they continue doing the same thing. So I I I start treating all of it as intentional at this point, regardless of how it started for these people.
1: Um,
3: so that's that's kind of my my personal
1: position on that. Well, I I think it's intentional. Um they're scared, but it's intentional. Yeah. Um <laughs> But at any rate, these are such difficult moral questions. How do so many people um, become so evil in how they conduct themselves? It's it's just Mm -hmm. mind-blowing. So tell us more about your conclusions about the vaccines, their dangers, Mm -hmm. the the nature of the dangers, anything you'd like to talk about. You're so well-informed.
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, my overall conclusion, obviously, this, uh, this is a this is a a poison. I knew it was a dangerous product to begin with because I I knew about its uh, development history in in the pharmaceutical industry. But I also thought that, you know, we 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 deal, pharma industry overall deals with poisons. Um, and, you know, the difference between a poison and a, some sort of a therapeutic agent is typically dosage and exposure and uh, application with risk benefit. Uh, that's how you approach pharmaceutical industry. That's why we have clinical trials to determine those, those specific issues. You know, who who will benefit? Who is at risk? What is the proper exposure? What is the therapeutic window? That's all we're trying to identify, so that we achieve the therapeutic desired desired effect without harming people. Uh, you know, putting them at higher risk than they already are. And all of these conditions were violated. Absolutely, every single one of them <laughs> was violated with regard to these products. So, you know, by definition, they meet the definition of poison. Um, And they meet the definition now that I know uh, more about the role of the department of defense. They also meet the definition of biological weapons.
2: They meet both definitions. Yes. Both both. a a supposedly benign definition as well as a, um, a war product definition.
3: Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a, as a medicine, they're not a medicine. They're, they're legally not a medicine. They don't work like a medicine. Uh, therefore, they're poison, and because of how it's legally structured and what is the role of Department of Defense, they're also a biological weapon.
1: Right now, the Department of Defense, my understanding is, and I could be very wrong, was primarily involved with Pfizer and not Moderna. Am I wrong about
3: that? Oh uh, no, no, it's both Pfizer and Moderna. Actually, okay. Moderna is Moderna is um, like it's straight U.S. government company. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's go right to there because this is incredibly important. Yeah, what do you, what is the evidence for that? I have some idea about it, of course. I mean, I'm not ignorant about this, but you really know the stuff. So, tell us some more about the evidence that that these are and uh, um DOD operations, and how do we then track them back to uh, you know Bill Gates and his. Um, uh, uh, Decade of the vaccine and and all mm-hmm. of his uh, organizations, all are, of
2: his nonprofits, that are NGOs. making
1: that are getting money and power in the World Health or working with the health uh, World Health Organization. Yeah, um, that's one of the tie-ins I'd like to eventually reach because I'm studying a lot about the UN, the World Health Organization. But what what about this then? There, uh, how how did modern? How is Moderna? Uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Department of Defense or however you would describe it, and and Pfizer
3: yeah, so um specifically with moderna, they were um so the the I, I looked at the co-founders, I looked at the history, I looked at the development. I originally thought that what happened with moderna was they were legitimately started as a as a biotech. Uh, and funded by Venture Venture, and then subsequently failed to put any products on the market, and out of desperation kind of got um got uh captured by the by DARPA funding and U.S government funding and turned into a weapons maker but then I when I looked into a more you know history in more detail it actually turns out that they are they were like, they were a, a DARPA shop from the very beginning so they received almost you know within a couple of years of founding they received huge amounts of funding from DARPA They received. um, uh, Which DARPA is is a DoD agency, bio claimed bio defense, but it's they use they they make both offensive and defensive products, Uh, and um, uh, so DARPA funded them hundreds of millions of dollars in many grants. Um, They they received um, intellectual property transfers from CDC. So uh, CDC's own patents, was specifically for these mRNA agents, were transferred to Moderna uh, for further development. Uh, co-founders uh, of Moderna are, have deep ties to the defense and intelligence, such as, for example, Robert Langer, lab at MIT, which <laughs> somehow is not prominent at all anywhere. I mean, it's it, you find you find it when you you know look for it. You find the links and you find that he is a co-founder of moderna but that hasn't been advertised anywhere uh and his specific lab at mit makes what's called uh darpa hydrogel uh which is i su- i highly suspect so myself and many other researchers highly suspect that that's a carrier vehicle vehicle uh for both pfizer and moderna and many other so-called COVID vaccines um, hydrogel which is a uh, uh, which has properties that um, Robert Langer works on to, to um, make it um, to, to slow down or accelerate uh, release of whatever is being encapsulated in it uh, based on external triggers such so as electromagnetic radiation, um, other types of frequencies, sound frequencies, um, temperature, enzymes, that so, act to turn things on or off, right? Yeah, to turn things on or off or accelerate, let's say something gets injected and stays inert, but then with exposure to some sort of uh, external stimuli, it can burst, like burst your vessels, for example, cause clots, mm-hmm. cause, you know, things of that nature. So it's clearly traced to his research. He, the whole lab is doing that. And so he's a co-founder um and there are some other interesting characters that are co-founders uh they are surprisingly um uh, there's a very international component to it and international governments so very frequently uh both with moderna and pfizer and many other biotechs that are working on similar applications Uh, You see involvement of U.S. Department of Defense, intelligence. um, The uh, other governments, such as Sweden, is very, very uh, frequently, Karolinska Institute is very frequently associated with these places. Uh, Israel, very frequently associated with these places, with variety of government links, both through pharma and food agriculture. Bill,
1: Bill Gates gave some money, one of his foundations, to uh, Moderna, do you think yes. he was a small player in this? No, Not no. So, so,
3: he he founded both Moderna and Pfizer. He's an equity investor, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.
1: Yeah, but that was yeah. my impression that he was mm-hmm. making a lot of money off of this.
3: Yeah, so they funded both. Uh, They're equity investors in both, and they, you know, Pfizer specifically, they invested, you know, months before, so like late two thousand nineteen, just a few months before. They announced this so-called COVID pandemic. Uh, the China also is investor CCP-linked uh, uh, pharmaceutical company, or rather, it's a large conglomerate, uh, Foson Pharmaceuticals, is a is a investor in uh, in bio and tech. Uh, which is also Pfizer is a co investor. And yes. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is also co investor So, as I said, they're very. Now, prominent- that's Pfizer.
1: Uh, Pfizer, is, yeah. Does BioNTech have anything to do with Moderna? Do we know?
3: I, I don't know about BioNTech in, in Moderna, but Moderna has uh, links to China as well. One of the uh, co founders is Chinese National uh, and uh, highly connected to various Chinese, you know. Um, academic institutions, which are of course all CCP controlled. Um, so with, with with each one of these companies, you can trace links to a variety of governments, including the Chinese. Uh, and so so that's so that's extremely concerning and that points to in into the direction that this is driven from the governments, from the defense arms and intelligence of uh of various governments acting together on this agenda. Uh that's not surprising that you know now you see all these these lockstep measures implemented all over the world. Um so well, and then is, I also- this
1: is so consistent with our book, COVID 19 and the global predators, it's just so consistent with everything we're saying there about these interlocking interests. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly. So they're, they're they're very, very much interlocked, even in those places where you think, oh, you know, China is the enemy. But, <laughs> you know, Ch- Chinese CCP controlled entity invests into BioNTech as an equity holder. Pfizer invests into it. Uh, Bill Gates invests into it. Then just a few months later, Department of Defense awards this venture $10 billion to make vaccines like they didn't know that the CCP is in it. Of course mm-hmm. they knew yes <laughs> so uh so that so that's why I'm telling people like stop looking at these sort of um surface level uh news about you know U.S is antagonistic to China or even Russia they're not they're
1: acting together on these agendas um the, you, may, the, you may not know this um, um as a result of Ginger and my work, uh, Trump canceled the funding of the North Carolina research uh, with the Wuhan Institute research. The um, Echo Health uh, mm-hmm. from, um, was getting money from Fauci and funding joint research back in the 2012, 13, 14, 15. And now, um, now the Biden administration has... Uh, restarted the funding according Mm -hmm. to echo health Mm -hmm. and and so we're once again funding joint collaborative making of of uh devastating pandemics together Mm -hmm. u.s and china it's absolutely bizarre we go to break now sasha out loud hi this is peter bregan again with ginger bregan and sasha latipova who is certainly among the great researchers of our time and is making connections which so support all the work we've been doing sasha it is amazing how much you are providing an example of um, the global creditors and how they all work together, which is what our our previous book is about and what our new book is going to be about in more detail. Um, where would you like to pick up again?
3: Yeah, so uh, you know, I wanted to bring up uh, Brooke Jackson's cla- uh, False Claims Act case uh, because this was instrumental in uncovering a lot of this evidence. And uh, I don't know if many people are familiar with it, uh, but uh, Brooke Jackson. Well, she's she's a friend also, a, and I, I talk to her often. Um, she um, worked at uh, the as as a clinical um, trials monitor and manager um, at one of the clinical sites that was performing a Pfizer clinical trial, uh, the the original one, and uh, she observed. Uh, a lot of so this was a site in texas called ventavia and pfizer utilizes a like a contract outsourced you know they outsource yeah. the work main CRO, then that CRO hires additional additional like subcontractors and some further subcontractors who are clinical sites so she was at this clinical site called ventavia in texas and uh that was reporting to so-called platinum research network which has since been dissolved uh and then reporting to icon and while working at that site on the clinical trial which she thought was you know we're we're working on this wonderful vaccine that's going to solve this whole COVID pandemic and everybody's so excited she was shocked to observe a lot of evidence of fraud uh, at the site the mismanagement of uh patients their data unblinding uh, improper handling of the product, uh, no access to, um, like I say, they, they, they couldn't find the crash card, for example, when they, she t- took her several hours to find it. When she found it, they didn't have EpiPen. It had expired medications. So um, the safety was compromised. The ASICs were compromised. The data was compromised. And she um, reported this to, to the Ventiva management, to Up the chain and ultimately i mean she reported it to pfizer she reported it to you know nobody acted and then she ultimately reported it to the fda Uh, and on the same day uh, she was fired so obviously fda told her employer to fire her Uh, and uh, since uh, the end of september of 2020 she started uh, suing so she um, filed a false claims act um Lawsuit against Pfizer and false claims act as a, as a law that uh, was put in place under President Lincoln um, for, um, you know, ca- contractors, uh, so pr- prosecuting contractors who are lying to the U.S. government about the product that they're delivering to the U.S. government. So it seemed like, you know, appropriate piece of law under which to file a lawsuit. She is claiming that, you know, uh, Pfizer is defrauding the U.S. government on these contracts. For well, vaccines, uh, the, the under False Claims Act, there is uh, you have to wait for a year for the Department of Justice have an opportunity to investigate, and Department of Justice took the entire year and then declined to investigate. Uh, subsequently, they declined to prosecute Pfizer. Uh, Brooke Jackson, you know, under False Claims Act, you can proceed without the Department of Justice, even though it's a you know uphill battle, uh, and as a private citizen, as a relator, she. Uh, filed um, in, you know, she notified the Department of Defense in December of 2020 that the product was defective, and then she, you know, filed as a private citizen. And uh, during that process, then Pfizer uh, submitted a motion to dismiss the case. And in that motion to dismiss, they brought up their DoD contracts. Prior to that, we did not see them. We did not know what the contracts were saying uh but during this lawsuit and this is probably the, the the uh most valuable achievement to date from this lawsuit is that the Pfizer advisor was forced to come up with an argument in their defense and what's interesting the argument in their defense is they they brought up these contracts and i have since seen them seen them review them and they said look Um, Under these contracts, uh, we're not defrauding the government. We're delivering exactly what government ordered, which is a large-scale manufacturing demonstration. And demonstration, by definition, is fake. So we've done nothing wrong. And you know what? They're correct. I have read these contracts, and I saw that what Pfizer was saying was factually correct. They were not defrauding the government. The government was ordering fraud. be delivered and that explains why um so after i read that after i read (laughs) that summary from catherine Watt, i realized um that what i thought was inexplicable why no regulators were acting to stop this product to withdraw this product to enforce any good manufacturing practice compliance to enforce any consumer protection safety rules, why DOJ was declining to prosecute, why there was no action, and nobody could get even into court with their evidence, well, that explains why. Because the government ordered this. The government, and specifically through the Department of Defense, ordered this. They ordered this fraud to be unleashed on American citizens. Um, so so the, the, the legal system that's utilized here is, uh, the U.S. government is using uh, biopharmaceutical companies under Defense Production Act and War Powers Act to order them to manufacture poisons. And that's what they're doing. They're manufacturing genetic poisons or biological poisons. And uh, the government is buying them under other transaction authority, which is a uh, uh, very um It's a loophole utilized by the Department of Defense now as primary contracting mechanism. It's supposed to be a very niche, uh, narrow application, but now it's a multi-billion dollar defense industry uh, buying secret things without disclosure. Without compliance, without auditing, without accountability, uh, and under these other transaction authority contracts, they can buy regulated products from regulated um, uh, manufacturers like pharmaceutical companies without following any regulations. And that's how these products are designed. I mean, they 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 do they the contracts. Um, do mention things like good manufacturing practice all over the place, but never in an any enforceable manner. It's almost like you know they're they're written to deceive the reader uh if you try to prosecute if you try to litigate this like Brooke Jackson did, what ends up in court is uh her case got dismissed as of late of late March of this year. And um, judge, federal judge in 5th District Court in Texas sided with Pfizer. And they said, yeah, Pfizer is correct. Under this contract, they were not obligated to do anything properly. Um, so that's, that's how it's all designed. So it's designed to provide uh, a cover. Um,
1: and- you know, that, um, that strikes me as a rather bizarre legal conclusion, just mm-hmm. because you find the contractor behind the murder uh, the murderer still gets prosecuted. Well, they don't
3: treat it as a murder. So this is a civil you know it's a, it's a civil litigation mm-hmm. so, and that's a good a good point. Uh, the all of this needs to be prosecuted as as homicide as is crime uh, because this is murder by poisoning, mass poisoning. but murder so by far mass poisoning yes yeah and so so far uh, you know you know this false claims act this is all you know civil litigation and you get into court and the court says well you know they're legal and by the way the legal framework the so it's not just that the contract is not enforcing the cgmp also by law these um uh, these uh, substances are classified as uh, eua countermeasures they're not pharmaceuticals they're countermeasures that's their legal status and countermeasure is is a very amorphous poorly defined thing that the u.s government created for themselves so that they can avoid any rules so you know like the, the laws don't apply to them they've created this extrajudicial space where yeah. they are buying countermeasures and the, these are medical countermeasures and medical countermeasures can be anything you know drugs devices um uh, diagnostics, and uh, there it's a federal government ordering them from these pharmaceutical companies under defense rules. Yeah. They are not regulated by FDA. They are not subject to um, consumer protections laws. They are not subject to pharmaceutical right. or food regulations that we have. Uh, they, the The federal government orders them from farmers. Gives them guaranteed contracts, buys them, regardless of whether it's going to be distributed or not, puts them into the national strategic stockpile. And that's the same thing that happened with these biologics, with these COVID 19 shots. Exactly the same way they ordered them, put them in the strategic national stockpile, distribute by federal government, not by the pharmacy distribution chain. So they're not traceable even. Yeah. So they can I be So, yeah, they can be adulterated, falsified, and they're federal property until they get injected Mm. into the person.
1: You know, there is a genocide law. I raised this with a lawyer who was supposed to be one of us, and he very quickly said, no, I hadn't heard of it, but I'll take care of that. And I never Mm -hmm. heard from him again. We do have a genocide law in the U.S.
2: There are Mm -hmm. also laws against mass murder. One thing I was thinking is, in the case of children who are being abused there are certain entities individuals in their professional capacity that have to report suspected abuse to the police and to mm-hmm. the sheriffs um uh so uh doctors teachers nurses and so forth if they actually believe they're looking at at intentional bruises on a on a child or other other injury to the child, they have to report that. And then it needs to be investigated. And I'm wondering if we've had a mass poisoning, which we have, uh, why Why? one thing that could be done is that individual physicians, nurses, other healthcare people who identify this, who have a case uh, themselves or someone else, why that's not being called into
3: sheriff's office and police stations? I am Yeah, they ha- it has. Um, <laughs> it has. You know- he has. Uh, lately, we've, we've made some progress on that. I mean, at the beginning, um, several groups and, and many people attempted this. And in fact, uh, attorney Todd Callender, I, I talked to him. He's a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he led some of the most um, systematic efforts on this. So they they had a, an outreach to thousands of sheriff's offices uh, specifically about this to trying to report the crime. Right. And, uh, and had a systematic campaign. And he said, you know, we had success with one out of, I don't remember like how many, 20,000, like thousands of sheriffs they tried to reach out. One in LA County who took the evidence. And he said in many cases, uh, you know, the, so, so nobody else did. And, and in some cases he said, you know, we went to serve one guy, like they would do like a process server to try mm-hmm. to get the evidence into their hands. One of the sheriffs, he said, he locked up the station. He ran out of back door,
1: oh specifically
3: gosh. not to take this evidence. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and but now lately, you know, this was this was probably 2021, early 2022. Lately, we've made some progress in some counties. Uh, what I've been involved with, and there are several parallel groups that do this now. Uh, we are doing uh testimonies in uh, County commissioner's offices, offices and uh county uh GOP a Republican party although it's it's not it's not a Republican Democrat issue it shouldn't be but Democrat party tends to be completely shut off on this and unfortunately um, the only place that's open is some County GOP offices some <laughs> right. So yeah.
1: so, Sasha, with me- um, this is this is such a horrific uh, to conclusion that you've come to and we, Ginger and I have come to, what do you see as motivation? People are talking about depopulation. People mm-hmm. are talking about using weapons you know, these people want to use their weapons.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: what do you think um, is behind, this gigantic force that has attacked America. I'll tell you what I think is behind it. By the way. I mm-hmm. think that America must be destroyed for the globalists to triumph. I've written about that. Mm-hmm. and I believe that's the case. And I think that our own government's been hired by the globalists to destroy itself. And uh, at the top of the pinnacle at the presidency, you know, it was a bought man by the his criminal activities, Biden, with the Chinese. And he's one of many, many government people involved with the Chinese. So I'm seeing this as a global assault on the U.S. and particularly also the Western world, as it once was called, the free world. What do you think?
3: I, I mean, yeah, largely is correct. I don't have the you know complete answer to this, but I, I do know that, for example, it's 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 both the establishment of a global totalitarian regime, which you know the UN, WEF, and WHO are not hiding that fact that they're very open that they're that's what they're intent intending to do. Uh, you know, you will own nothing, and you will be happy. Yeah, and- the
1: UN has come out with a a brand new proposal to do an emergency platform, which would enable the UN rather than just who to take over of the organization of the uh, countries of the world if there mm-hmm. is a suitable threat so they've now come out with that
3: yeah yeah so so they all you know they all want this uh, global totalitarian regime so that's very clear so this is all kind of pointing into achievement of that goal and that's true that they they want the us destroyed in uh, Western countries in general, because, uh, you know, like Europe and U.S., yes. uh, because, uh, you know, people, they're much more, you know, they have ideas of freedom and individual rights, uh, educated people, people who can uh, read the law, understand their rights, fight for them like, like we're doing, uh, and also have financial independence. So that's what, that's what they're after. They want everyone to be poor, destitute, terrorized, uh, and terrified into submission. And people who succumb to fear, especially uh, manufactured fear like these, you know, viral pandemics and climate change, well, they they have fallen to this. They they have submitted to this already. They already have been enslaved.
1: I think it's a good good place to. Uh... To uh, wrap it all up, and you've wrapped it all up, and this is entirely consistent with everything we we laid out in uh, COVID nineteen, and, and
2: that we documented the, absolutely, and and and, and
1: the, and the COVID nineteen and the global predators, we are the prey. Um. Thank you, Sasha Lodipova, um For your thank, courage and, and honesty. Oh my gosh, Sasha! Uh, your brilliance. <laughs> your your. your perv- persistence and um, your fight for freedom we deeply appreciate you
3: thank you ginger peter thank you for inviting me
1: okay